Hi, genre junkies. It's Sandra. And this is Scott. And before we get started with tonight's episode, which we are super excited to talk to you all about, we wanted to let you know that we here at Genre Junkies, um, we see what's going on in the world right now, and we are very affected by it. We are taking a stand, and we are working to better ourselves as allies. We know that as readers, um, one of the best ways to fight oppression and racism and the evil in this world is through books. And while we have always tried to commit ourselves to reading diversely, we know that we can do even better and we want to do even better going forward. So our commitment is to reassert ourselves in reading diverse authors, diverse characters of all walks of life, of all races, and we hope that you will join us in doing the same. We are in full support of Black Lives Matter, and if you need help finding how you can help, where you can send money, or where you can put your activism to good use, we will be including a link in the comments to resources to help yourself do that. We love you. Stay safe. Weirdo bookworms, unite. We want to share our love of genre fiction with you. Some readers out there may look down on you for your love of horror, sci-fi, and fantasy, but not us. So stop by as we discuss what we've been reading. Okay, good night, everybody. Good good night. That's (laughs) usually how you say goodbye. (laughs) Good night, everybody. Great show. Um, You just have to guess what we read. Just guess. Just guess what it was. Maybe you'd be right. Maybe you'd be wrong. <laughs> and guess what we thought about it, too. You know, our ratings, uh, you know, our, our, our appeal score, our experience Everything. score. Just, just guess. <laughs> so on tonight's episode, we are going to be talking about two novellas. The first half of the episode is spoiler free, as always. Um, and then the second half, we're going to be talking in spoiler terms and also about the second novella. So this is Sean and McGuire's Home for Wayward Children uh, series, with the first book being Every Heart a Doorway and the second book being Down Among the Sticks and Bones. So I know a lot of people have been, uh, you know, reading this and they're all caught up on the novellas that are out. Uh, this has been on our list for years now, it seems. You guys know how that works with the TBRs. It gets really rough. We've read some short works by Sean and McGuire, and we were both really excited to get to be inside her head a little bit more. Yes. And, you know, this is something, like Sandra said, we've been we've been looking at for a couple of years now. And these I'm I'm really excited to get to talk about them. Yeah, I it's like one of those things where it's like I'm mad I haven't read them sooner, but it's more important that we're here now. So this series of novellas is about a lady who runs a home for children. Uh, So far, they've been kind of older teens, but children, right, who have gone to portal fantasy worlds and been kicked out and have to return to Earth and to their former homes, and they want to go back to where they're from. And the conceit is, is sometimes in Portal Fantasy, you go back and sometimes you don't. And sometimes it's really complicated. So that's kind of 
where we're at. Um, lovely woman named Eleanor runs the school. <laughs> and there's all different kinds of portal fantasy worlds. And more importantly than that, not only are the worlds incredibly diverse that these kids go to, the kids are incredibly diverse. Wow, right off the bat, what a wonderful display of love for all different types of people. It's really exciting to me where one of the main characters in the first story is Ace. And I think that that is really exciting. That is not a perspective that I come across in books very often. It's something I'm going to be seeking out a little bit more. Absolutely. Because, you know, and there's there's so many different layers and different, you know, ways to express your sexuality and who you are, a romantic, asexual, so on and so forth. And those are two, um, you know, subcategories that you don't see a lot of representation for. And it's really, really important. You know, just like every form of representation that we try to celebrate is because people need to see themselves reflected in characters. You know, because I've learned a lot over the years by listening to, you know, you, our listeners on Twitter, which I'm not on as much anymore, but also reading your stories and your messages on Instagram and things like that. So that has been a way for me to kind of learn about these things. But there's really nothing quite like reading a book with a character who's living that experience to kind of put yourself in their shoes. Oh, very, very well said. So since this is a novella, and I kind of gave you the wrap up, we're not going to read too much more about the description of the book. So let's get right into our our patented genre junkies <laughs> review styles. Scott, what was your experience with reading the first two novellas in the Wayward Children series. These book, these books, novellas, whatever you want to call them, are nothing short of an obsession. Mm. I want to devour the rest that's in the series and then mourn and cry that there's not more and I have to wait for the next one. I love these stories so much. Oh my gosh, I'm so right there with you. Absolute obsession. I want to unhinge my jaw so that my jaw hangs down to the floor, shove all of the books in, shove Sean and McGuire in, and just and just trap it like a pelican in my beak because I, I cannot ever get enough of this. <laughs> we are, um, so yeah, definitely obsession. So we are both obsessed with portal fantasy in general. Yeah, it, it doesn't hurt that this falls into portal fantasy. I feel like I could do a show just on portal just on portal fantasy books and be totally happy. It's hard to not say portable fantasy. I know. Which just sounds really funny. I'm imagining like Polly Pocket or Micro Machines. <laughs> I, I think that uh, I think that a book itself is a portable fantasy yes. regardless of genre. I, Heck yes it is. Actually, that's a really, that's a really good title for something. <laughs> genre junkies could have been called portable fantasy. <laughs> um, so yeah, let's talk a little bit more in non-spoiler terms just about what to expect with these books and what we loved about it and then also our, our um, appeal score. Yeah, I, I think it's important to point out, having at least read the, the first two, that each book is definitely written in a similar manner as far as just this this, you know, loving 
fantasy sort of situation, but mm-hmm. both of these books are very different in setting and tone. Yes. Uh, the first book, uh, Every Heart a Doorway, the focus is on not only introducing us to the setting and to like, you know, what we're doing here, but it also focuses mostly on one person's story, Nancy, um, and then kind of introduces us to some other characters. And then the next book is about some characters that were introduced in the first. But they um, both books have this beautiful fairy tale like language to them sean and mcguire writes as as we've talked about you know there's authors that write in that like really quick reading way she has these short succinct beautiful detailed prose and it's just like you just can easily jump from one sentence to the next she does something else when it comes to talking about the stories themselves when, when when the books talk about what is happening inside of these fantasies there the the um, author the storyteller is a character yes it, she does take use of authorial intrusion which I really appreciate Ooh, and it really yeah. term and, and she does it in really unique ways as well especially in the first book she finds a way to to make that happen even though it's not being told in a storybook fashion for the majority of it that i i found really fun mm-hmm. and it also makes it pretty clear who the author is who who that who that person is that's kind of butting in right uh, i totally agree these books um thus far are very much a love letter to portal fantasy to to readers of fantasy and it's like we're all in on it it's like we're in on the the joke we're in on like what's going on here and it's talking about these people, these young people who we grow to really love and care about and looking at their story from a really unique perspective, um, you know, like kind of diving a little bit more into the details, like for all of these, uh, you know, different dimensions people travel to, time passes differently there. And um, that's going to reflect so much on a person. Um, and, you know, that that was their home. That was where they truly belonged and now they're thrust back into our you know analog digital world and they have to somehow cope if they can and for someone um who really likes kind of like a science fictiony explanation sort of situation like i do this has a little bit of world building meat uh, of that 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 also i wasn't expecting especially in such a short first book It, it sets up this this map if you will, of of how of where these these fantasy worlds uh you know live in yes. that I find really interesting and very inspiring to just kind of sit and imagine other other ideas and, and to categorize them and, and think about other portal fantasies I've read in the past and like where do these fit in yes. when it comes to this 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 map these directions Um, yeah it's just like how shannon writes these sentences that are really profound and beautiful and compact but dense with information that's how this whole uh both of these novellas are and it's incredible when you look at how few pages they are and how little space she wastes in, in getting her story across so um Let's jump to the appeal score, and then I have, like, one question for you. Okay. Okay, so for me, uh, you know, maybe this is a bit of an overstatement. I don't really care. Uh, I would say this is a massive heel book book series so far having read the first two and we wanted to do two not only to have a little bit more to talk about but to also make sure that we're kind of recommending this 
kind of right so far. Uh, you know, having two in this series to kind of share with you guys. And I would definitely say mass, mass for both. I don't think that it's overstating it at all to say that this is a mass appeal series. I think that this is for everybody. It's written to be for everybody. It's a love letter to anybody who has an imagination. Yes. I, I think it, this absolutely this absolutely fits. Okay, so then the other thing I want to ask you, and I'm not going to say it right, maybe you'll say it right, is I think it would be easy to pick for ourselves, but I think you would belong in a high logic world. I, Was it like high logic, high math or whatever? <laughs> <laughs> I have. I think that I would definitely thrive in a high logic. Yeah. I don't know what my secondary direction would be yet. I don't know either. But it definitely would be high logic. What about me? Where am I? I actually think you would thrive in a logic world as well, but probably, yeah, I do, but probably in the opposite direction of mine. Like the opposite, yeah. the, uh, the like. Yeah. I don't know, but I'm so not, but aren't I nonsense? Aren't I silly? No, you are silly. So but, then do I go high nonsense? But there are logic, there are logic worlds that are silly. <laughs> Nonsense doesn't necessarily mean silly. Yeah. Nonsense means there's no rules. Yeah. Oh, but see, I don't know. That kind of appeals to me. I don't know. You know, and if you're confused about what we're going to talk about, this was kind of a little appetizer I wanted to just throw at you so that you would be uh, enticed to jump into the books and find where you would belong. Because I'm clearly, I, I'm, my compass is spinning. I'm looking for a door anywhere and I don't know where, what my door is. I think, you know, I hope that the, the, the cardinal directions of these worlds get fleshed out even more in further books, because this could be a stronger litmus test than uh, the Harry Potter house. And I'm, and especially with, you know, JK and her tweets, I, I would, I would like to find a new one. <laughs> yeah, I want to hold up like a sign or like put out an ad currently seeking um, someone who's not a bigot. Don't just sort us into our fantasy worlds. Okay, thanks. Bye. <laughs> All right, everybody. Well, you know, we're going to love Harry Potter forever. I know a lot of us are separating art from the artist on that one, but that was that was good. <laughs> <laughs> Had to get that off our chests, I feel. All right. Shall we hop over to the spoiler section? Oh, please. I cannot wait to talk about these books. All right. See you over there. Enjoying the show? Please like and subscribe on iTunes. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Genre Junkies. And don't forget to visit the website, genrejunkies.com. Okay, Genre Junkies, welcome back to the spoiler section. I'm so excited to talk about this. Oh, I've got to pull up my notes here. This was like one of those, <laughs> both of these were like, I just... If I had had, you know, a highlighter in my hand, I would have highlighted the entire books, just like the entire thing would be highlighted. And I'd be like, oh, oops, like I highlighted literally the entire thing. Oops, all highlights. <laughs> okay, so let's start with Every Heart a Doorway. So one of the first notes that pops out of me that I think is a huge, huge important lesson from these books is... Their love wanted to fix her and refused to see that she wasn't broken. That is, at least in the first two books, that quote right there is the summary. That is the point. That's huge. It's huge. 
um, that's the underlying message in, in so, so much of the meat of the story. And, you know, like the portal fantasy is important and the going to other worlds is important. But what's important is more about the roles we're forced to play, the expectations that are set upon us by society and our our family and our friends and where we fit in and who you truly are and and owning that. Um, I cried <laughs> at the end of both of these books, um, but there was a part in the first book in Every Heart a Doorway that I cried, and it's when we realize that Cade's story is that he was kicked out because he is male and is not female. And there was such validation in that to me that no matter where you go, you are who you are. And it's ridiculous that trans folks have to fight so hard for that here. Whereas, I mean, over there it was a high logic. So they're like, oh, you don't fit the mold. You got to go. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, because that is who he is and he cannot change. It's so powerful. And it, it's, it's doubly sad for him because a lot of these portal fantasies, th- these children are drawn into them. Yes. Because they are not living the, the life that they are, that they want to be living, that they're supposed to be living. Yes. And it's so tragic that he discovers the life that he's supposed to be living, yeah. but is kicked out of the portal fantasy that he was pulled into because he was not living the life he wanted to live. He was kicked uh, out because he discovered who he was. I'm sure Cade has a book, um, you know, and I can't, I can't wait to read it and learn more about his story. Um, Nancy's world. Oh my goodness. Okay. On paper, (laughs) Nancy's world is very appealing to me. Very, very appealing to me. It's basically being stuck in a water house painting and it's beautiful and it's the underworld. There's some uh, Grecian, you know, myth stuff, uh, dead lords and dead people and spirits. And I'm all about that life. But if you have met me in person, (laughs) I cannot sit still. I cannot sit still. Impossible. I'm a fidgeter. I'm a doodler. I'm a talker. I'm a, like, the anything that comes into my head comes out of my mouth. I mean, they would have, I would never have been invited into that world. No, no, not at all. never have opened for me because, I don't know, they'd have to find some special place for me there. I'd be like the court jester or something. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, please let me stay. I'll do whatever. The court jester in that world would be funny just because they wink every... <laughs> two days or so oh my god can you believe that he moved <laughs> look at how they wink um yeah so that was a bummer for me when i was so sucked into nancy's world and i was like yeah that door not gonna open for me <laughs> it's not gonna happen that was a really cool uh trait of hers that she could just that like when she was in fear yes. her, her survival mechanism was just to freeze like a statue that is such a a I'm sorry, a creepy visual? Yes. Just uh, her, just like her just deer in a headlights just frozen. And there's something scientific going on because like her heartbeat and everything is like kind of affected her breath. Very interesting to imagine that. And I guess like I kind of imagine they're in like a meditative state. Yeah, th- and that's something that's neat that that about all of their stories about this world that this is set in is that when they come back, they still have some of that I, I don't know if you want to call it magic, the science, the the they still have have the skills that worked 
in those fantasy worlds. Um, Jack still has the ability to bring someone back to life. Yeah. Um, uh, Christopher still has the ability to animate a, a skeleton. With his awesome flute. Yeah. Right. Um, and she still has the ability to slow her heartbeat down to one beat per minute. <laughs> and be okay. And be totally fine with it. Um, I loved the reveal in the story that Cade is related to Eleanor. Mm-hmm. And that he's going to inherit the the school one day. I thought that was really cool because this is a really important institution and place and i was already panicking with like wait what happens and then like who takes over like i was worried for everybody so (laughs) i'm really thankful they cleared that up for me um i find it really fascinating eleanor's glimpse that we get of her who she is and her world um the fact that she can go that she can go well she can't right now right because she's not childlike enough Uh, i think that her quirk if you call it that she narrates things to herself in her head like she narrates things yes. like it's a storybook i think is beautiful and if Cade wants to take over he's going to need to start learning a little bit of that himself uh i, I when i talked about in the spoiler free section about um the author being a character i get the i take away from this that book two is being read to me is being mm-hmm. written by her. Um, it's nice that there's kind of a little meta plot mystery going on in this book. Um, kind of is a, a really smart way to, it's not just Nancy in the house and this happens this day and this happens that day. And it kind of um, unfurls the story and the details a little bit more uh, with this mystery going on, which I mean, isn't much of a mystery. I mean, I think we pretty much all know who was doing the killing yeah. for a long time, but um, that's totally fine because that wasn't even the point to me. Um, Actually, I didn't get it until the skeleton pointed next to Jack. Oh, yeah. That was when I was like, oh, oh. My God. Um, It's Jill. So before we like, because we're going to talk about Jack and Jill in a few minutes and kind of deep dive into that Mm -hmm. book. Um, I love Sumi very much. Yeah, I was heartbroken. We would have been really good friends, she and I. You would have. I think... I mean, I, I see why you think that you would fit into nonsense because your your character is a bit of a is a bit of nonsense. Like like you and she would have had a great time. And I love that um she really believed in her that whole time too. Yeah, that was oh god, that was like so sweet. Um, speaking of Christopher with his bone flute, um, I think I might fit into the skeleton world pretty okay. <laughs> Just dancing with skeletons and uh, yeah, flaying people open so the skeletons can come out and d- play. Yeah, I would do that fine. Okay. Yeah, it sounds very like we're already getting kind of like Dia de los Muertos vibes yes. a little bit. Um, Coco feeling <laughs> world. And I'm in. Count me in. Where's my ticket? Where's my little passport? Um, so I hope we get to hear about his story as well. I feel like anybody who's read all of these novellas is screaming at us right now in their car or wherever they're listening, like, oh my God, Christopher's book four or whatever. Like, <laughs> as we're like, I wonder when we'll hear about Kate. And like, <laughs> sorry, people at home who are screaming at us. Well, so have you read any of the descriptions of the further on books? Like, do you I know what's not. coming? I, I haven't either. And I'm, I'm really interested to see if, if these continue on with other kids' stories that we've 
that we've Met. already been introduced to Kids or if the, past. the story is going to continue or completely. I mean, she has created this world where she can do anything with it. Anything. Any, literally anything. Like um, even just getting to read, was it L'Oreal's, L'Oreal's world? The girl with the, one of the girls who died and she's like in the, spi- she went to like the spider the, world. Oh, the web world. Yeah. Yes. Oh my gosh. Can you believe her door was in her room the whole time? That was heartbreaking. Oh my God. I, You know, and it's really important that she included that because she was such a such a nasty character. She was just so unhappy. She was incredibly unhappy. Of course, there's really good reasons, but but it was it, I you know I didn't have the emotional impact at her death as of course I did to Sumi. Yeah. Um. But including just that one little paragraph yeah. of the door was there the whole time for her. Clearly, her world believed in her. It just made my heart break for her. Yeah, her world believed in her and believed in her ability to come back and wanted her back so thoroughly. Um, oh, yeah. Just it does. It's like you feel your heart being like crunched under like a heel. Like it's like oh. What well, and it teaches you something because I like how you said that her world believed in her. Every single one of these people are out of the place where they are their best selves. Yes, and so they're they're in a place where this you know they are who they are. They're they are made the person that they're made in a way the person that they are now by the worlds they travel to, but mm-hmm. also those worlds just help to bring out the the best of them. Right. And the best of them may not be what's quote unquote right yeah. for this world. And you can it's hard to judge them for that. It's very hard to judge them because it's it's akin to um not understanding someone's culture. Yeah. And passing judgment on it because you're like, oh, that's weird. That's so foreign. That's so alien from my my belief and my knowledge of how things work. Like Jack just taking dibs on a gerbil. <laughs> <laughs> um, like I said, putting a putting a little bit of a pin in Jack and Jill for just a few more minutes because I'm really excited to talk about them. Um, one thing that I really liked was the fact that Cade had the like, he was like the keeper of the clothes and could also make clothes. Um, I think especially when you're a young person like that, but even, you know, any age, clothes are important and they have a lot to do with your identity. Yeah. And, you know, there's um some stuff to be picked apart there and digested about like, you know, the fact that like Nancy's family stole her clothes. Which which was awful and yeah. horrible of them. No, clothes are an are an important part throughout your entire lifetime. Um, but especially when you are, you know, when you're growing up, when you're young, it is the it is the the most obvious outward expression of your of of your inner self. And yeah, and even if it and and sometimes it's that shield. To yeah. shield your inner self, but it, it is how you present yourself to the world and how you want to present yourself to the world. That's one of the one of the one of the easiest and and most um, universal ways of communicating that that sense of self to the world. Absolutely, could not could not ignore so much to dissect and pick apart in these books. Um, I found it to be incredibly important that Nancy went home at the end of this novel. It set a tone about hope. Yeah. Um, and that it was time for her to go. Uh, there was something right about she didn't, for whatever reason, for her world, her situation, um, you know, she needed to just basically love and kind of have that confidence and belief in herself. And once like those pieces literally fell into place, she her door opened up. Um, 
and I don't know if that's to do with you know what what makes that so but I mean you can remember when Eleanor is asking her at the beginning of the book you know how long were you there she says forever years and years and you know for all that time she clearly felt at home but a part of her was still a teenage kid mm-hmm. like who didn't know themselves fully I don't know there's something to that very very interesting to me I, I also appreciate that she went home at the end. Uh, I was not expecting it. Me neither. Um, and, and, and there's a lot, you're, you know, a lot of the, the, the subtle messaging of the first book, which ended up being a lie, is hope is a dirty word. Yes. And having that be shown as the lie and say there should always be hope. Yeah. The, the reason that these worlds even exist is because of hope. Right. Um, it is is powerful. I, before we go on to the second book, I want to ask you a question about uh, the idea that the majority of people who are taken into these portal worlds are female. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that we know of right now. Well, it's actually it's actually discussed. Yes, that, that is true. That's discussed in the in a, the book. A large a large portion of them are female. Not all of them. Yeah. Um. And and at least are presenting as female at the time that they're taken. Yeah. In the case of Cade's, in the case of Cade, but what do you think that that says? Um, she kind of talks about it a little bit in the book, and I'm having trouble kind of forming my thoughts around why that is. But mm, it is important. Like she makes that distinction for a reason, mm-hmm. and I don't know if it's because femme and femme identifying people in our world um, are at a disadvantage, and we have a little bit more adversity, and therefore are more you know open to maybe this isn't where I'm supposed to be. Yeah. That's kind of one of my thoughts. I mean, she definitely she definitely talks about it a bit. I just was curious if if you had a uh, if you yourself had a personal a personal feeling about that. Yeah, if you wanted to talk about your of, experience, <laughs> think, well, that's kind of as much as I can say about it. I think it's about because we have like a weird society that we're up against that it would be a lot easier to find some place maybe where you could define your role in your sexuality for yourself for females and femme people. That's kind of my idea. Um, so let's talk about Jack and Chill up the hill to immediate- watch a bit of slaughter. Love those titles. Two things immediately came to mind. One, uh, I could absolutely 100% live in the moors. Oh, you would. You absolutely would. And I... you Wait, you could also live in the moors. Yes, I could. Hear me out. Well, I know you disagreed, but hear me <laughs> out. So I would live probably with the werewolves and or with the weird... Um, <laughs> they don't even really describe them, but the weird magical people of the snowy hills. <laughs> like i could fit in with either of those i don't know how the drowned gods and i would get along you'd probably get along better with them than i would but you would 100 percent, without a doubt be dr bleak's apprentice and you have a lot in common with jack i want to be in jack's shoes you are jack i I mean (laughs) yeah i Oh, I love Dr. Bleak so much. Oh, you'd 100% fit it. And you know what? Maybe we'll go to the moors because we can still visit. I'll be in my part and you be with Dr. Bleak and we'll have, you know, we'll go to the the village every once in a while. Yeah. For the, you know, for the vampire master to burn it down. (laughs) That's not exactly what happens. I know. So I want to be, 
I want to be a mad scientist in this world, but a lot of the world around it is very tragic to me. Oh, yeah. And I don't know if that's okay with me. Oh, I think you'd adapt. You'd just be like Dr. Bleak and bury yourself in your studies. And <laughs> um, I I love the Moors. I love Jack and Jill. Um, their, their worlds, oh, their world, their roles um, went a different way than I thought it was going to go. And I was very happy about that. Um, I think that you can read, if you wanted to, or if it was relevant to you, something sexual in nature between the master and Jill. But really, it's all um, it's all about parenting. It's all about power, is how I read right. it. Right. Because their parents were such a joke. <laughs> and then, like, Jack finds a really wonderful parenting figure in Dr. Bleak. Um, he's kind of stern, but he loves her. Very, very much. Whereas the master is very much like their parents, where they love her conditionally, mm -hmm. and they love her with parameters and with um, buffers. And yeah, you you can see how Jill turned out the way she did. She got booted. It's hard because she deserved that pampering. She deserved the... She deserved love. She, she deserved love. She had deserved, the you know, being able to be pretty in, in the way that she defined it. And, you know, the, he gave her that. It's just, there's, there's a really good quote in, in the story where it says, you know, it's things like this that makes one, like, makes the damage to one's heart, one, one, one's heart rots and another heals. Yes. Um, I guess it's, it's a grooming thing. See, I got a lot of, I see that's when I said power. Yeah. I got a lot of, I got a lot of grooming vibes from it, which was really uncomfortable. Right. And it's, that's why I said, like, I think like if it's something you've experienced, you can relate it to a sexual relationship, but um, it's, I guess it's more the, the point is not just parents, it's people having power over you to mold you into how they want you to be. Yeah. You know, th there's the scene when when the master first um, asks her if he can drink her blood and it just gets it's it's really icky to me because he's basically groomed her for two years yeah. and and set it up where on the one hand he's he's turned her into the perfect, you know, into the perfect, quote unquote, daughter mm. And he's also set this this expectation that if she's not, she'll be out. Yeah, there's not really a choice. So it's almost like you have to conform and want it because you don't really have a choice in this. I mean, it's written in a way where she gives consent willingly and happily, yeah. but it's after two years of being conditioned. Yeah, it's, it's someone's conditions. It's someone's parameters put on um, your acceptance. Uh, I highlighted the out of <laughs> this book especially in the first part um scott and i are cf we're child-free people by choice and we love children don't get offended we love your children we love 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 children we think they're wonderful cute little babies We're professional auntie and uncle yes but um you see as a human in this world so much bad parenting and you you know these chesters and serenas you know them so well and so much about, you know, why they wanted to be parents and how they parented was 
you know, it was a tiny, tiny bit over the top for the sense of the story, but at the same time, it's not over the top at all. Um, I love this quote so much. It can be easy in the end to forget that children are people and that people will do what people do. The consequences be damned. How more, how more can you put it? Yeah. Um, these are also orderly. He's an orderly man with an orderly wife in an ordinary, orderly life. (laughs) Say that a few times fast. Um, that is, I mean, that's exactly who these people are. They have conditions and they have parameters for how their children can be. They want them to be this archetype and that archetype to fit into their ordinary, orderly life. You know, I agree that that you know, their parents are an extreme, you know, I I don't know if there are very many people out there who are quite as extreme as their parents. Very intense. (laughs) But I'm going to say something, you know, slightly controversial and just bear with me for a moment, listeners. Having a child is in itself, for many different reasons, inherently selfish. And I don't mean that in a negative fashion. Mm -hmm. But when you first choose to have a child, you're doing it for yourself. This is this is uh, a living thing that does not yet exist, and you decide to bring it into the world because you want to. And there's nothing wrong with that inherently, but that selfishness for some people can turn. And most people, you know, when, when they have this child in front of them, they become a real person in front of their eyes. And they roll with it. So much of what you do yeah. is for this other person. Yeah. But if you never if if you never get past the selfishness, mm-hmm. This is the kind of thing that can happen. This is an extreme situation, but you know, there there is a there is a problem that a lot of people in our generation as as amazingly open as our parents generation tried to be with, you know, the jokes that people make about participation trophies and everything, but mm-hmm. um of of putting people into cubby holes, putting people into boxes and trying to shape people into what you want them to be yes. instead of guiding them along and becoming the person that they're supposed to be. Yes, and that argument that Scott makes about the um, you know, for lack of a better word, word selfishness is something like that for a lot of us child-free people including us, um uh, we have been targeted and called selfish for our desire to not have children. And um so you have to see that that argument reflected back yeah. on you if you're the accuser of okay what were your reasons for having children yeah. and were they in fact selfish um because i won't agree the choice to not have children is a selfish choice as well i don't want children i choose not to <laughs> selfish is not a dirty word no um it's got a lot of connotation to it but it's not a dirty word uh there's it's definitely a dirty word like in the in this <laughs> book it, yes, yeah yes, um yes. like there's, you know, Serena wants to be the center of attention. She wants everybody to like ooh and awe over her pregnancy and her babies and her small children. Chester wants the camaraderie. Uh, they both want the conformity of having children. And um, Gemma was a really, really big deal to me. I, for, I've mentioned it before, but I was raised by my grandma for many, many years, live with my grandma. And um, I'm really like protective of grandmas <laughs> that raise kids. And it's so, so beautiful, her relationship to them. And it's so sad how it ends and how she was this lifeline for them. Um, and how her being forced to leave them 
made such an impact on them. That was the moment when their parents went from being, you know, just like bad parents to bad people. Uh, She was their lifeline. She was their opportunity, their chance to lead, you know, at least to some extent, the lives that they would want to leave. To be who they are. And them kicking her to the curb because she didn't fit their picture of a perfect family exactly is is the point when there was just no redemption for those people no and that was his own mother for god's sake um there's another line that i highlighted jacqueline she felt who was everything a young lady should be quiet and sweet and increasingly polite with every year that passed um for us females, many, many of us are raised to be that way, to not make waves, to be quiet, to be polite, to not take up space, and to not hold space, and to not bring attention to yourself in any way, to just be very mild. And it's really sickening that that deliberation was placed upon her. Um, Yeah. <laughs> It's kind of all I have to say about that. That was a very important line in this book. I, we've read a lot of very strong feminist books, uh, things that we have celebrated every time we come across strong feminist ideals. These two books um, affected me the most that I can think of when it comes to the experience of young women. Mm-hmm. Um, very, very important. And there's so, so many passages about that. Um, another one that really stood out to me personally was talking about Jillian. Jillian learned that little girls who wore pants and ran around with the boys were weirdos and worse. Mm. Um, I was a tomboy child, definitely running around with the boys and wearing pants and shorts. And weirdo, yes, the and worse, I read that to indicate gay. Um, And obviously, Shannon is (laughs) not saying that. She's saying that's what people think. Think, yes. Yeah. And how you have to, if you're going to be a tomboy, or she can't be too boyish, or you still have to be this way. (laughs) There's all those conditions still placed on it so that you can very narrowly fit into the tiny little strip of space you are allowed. Yeah. I, you know, it's, it, it says something when it comes to the, you know, the idea of gender neutrality and and gender fluidity and things like that, um, where it's like, you should not be put into a box or expected to play with these people or do these things just because you were born with one set of genitalia over another. Oh, yes. And I know that boys go through it too and that there's there is like conditioning boys don't cry boys are tough boys are blah, blah. boys will be boys like whatever there's there's so much excuses and there is uh you know narrow lanes for boys to stay into and um that is that is important but um yeah it seems that in you know recent years not even just recent years but more and more um female authors have spoken about like yeah but it's really really narrow when you're a girl and it's really tough and um i just appreciated you know the characters in this story struggling with that um i love jack and alexis jack and alexis forever yeah um i really hope that alexis is okay i think that she's okay 
I hope she's okay. I love that the Moors is gay positive. Yeah, they're just like totally cool with the it. The only thing her mom was concerned about was like, well, she can't like give you kids though. Yeah. But I like how she says, yes, I can. I can make you a kid. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what what size? What breed? What do you how want? How many heads? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I love that they don't have any um, Judeo-Christian Abrahamic yeah. <laughs> hangups about stuff over there. Um, I, I liked their relationship. I thought it was really cute. And I liked um, how everybody was kind of in support of it, except Jill. <laughs> <laughs> oh, poor Jill. And she just... Oh, she got herself booted. And I think it is so interesting. Like that was a huge moment. My jaw fell on the floor at the end of the first book when Jack simply cuts a hole. Oh, I can go whenever I want. Yeah. What? But, you know, Dr. Bleak told her, do not bring her back alive. Come back. I know you'll come back, but come back with a dead sister. The fact that she was... Jack was basically... Oh, and he said a year too. So she was basically counting down a year to having to kill her sister and bring her through. Okay. Okay. And I don't know if Jill's going to handle it very well. I think she's not going to handle it super well at first. I mean, eventually she will. I mean, it's difficult. It does take a bit of agency away from Jill. Oh, sure, it does. But, you know, like we said, there's the drowned people. <laughs> there's the werewolf people. There's the snowy, creepy hill people. Uh, maybe she'll find a space in there. Maybe she'll become a shopkeeper. Maybe she'll find something she can do that is that is something she can do or maybe a, a subculture in the moors that's better and healthier but is that what she wants i mean are you, i don't think the poor thing ever had a chance to sort out what she really wanted i mean i that is true because she's been controlled since the day she was born and she was controlled in the world that she was sucked into but you know what she wanted more than anything else was to become a vampire yeah and you know, however she got to that point, yeah. if she had the ability to do that without taking the eyes and hands and body parts of other people. Which was like not even a thing, Jill. Oh, also, <laughs> very night country. Yeah, I think this came out first. It but, did, it did. But, um... I that immediately drew me into like like not only did that make me think of Night Country and, and I love Night Country we did I liked the explanation of of what that meant more well I mean it's it's almost an apples to oranges it's because- a skeleton key the perfect girl can go into any portal which probably wouldn't even work but oh well, yeah I mean it was just like Jill just decided that this was a thing <laughs> um I will say that being the vampire's daughter and then being the master is not a healthy thing to to pursue because of the very nature of the relationship. But it is interesting to me that even though the master is the master and takes lives and does all this, it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We still have decency here, ma'am. We have rules. (laughs) We have rules. And it's not fair that those rules were never properly explained to her Mm -hmm. um, and that she was set up to, you know, not, not be successful. But it's like, you can't just have absolute power and do whatever the heck you want and ruin people's lives there is a message in there to me about that too and there there is a level where she, you know there is a balance between the protection of of the town yeah. of the master's feeding grounds and the master's you know need for human blood i don't know if she would have made a good vampire after all is said and done because mm. at least at the time certainly because she was um 
her her heart had grown too cold. Yes. And that was probably just, you know, from all that conditioning. Mm-hmm. She ended up with a cold heart because she, she wasn't conditioned properly. The master really, I mean, the master is very disturbingly good at grooming, but he also really sucks at it. Yeah. <laughs> you know what i mean well yeah his apprentices keep not working out yeah they're either they're either quote unquote too soft yeah or he turns them into just complete heartless murderous creatures yeah i think he needs to rethink his strategy yeah maybe he did that in the year the girls were gone (laughs) i don't know um no wonder the moon wants to get rid of him seriously um Okay, so we've we've decided we're going to the Moors, but we're not going to be with the master. No, we're just not going to do it. No, I think I think first first uh, order of business is all is the snow people and and the <laughs> sea gods and the and the werewolves, the, the werewolves and the mad scientists need to come together for just one and the townspeople, one vampire. I don't know if the townspeople would survive it, but for <laughs> one. One, like, just uh, vote out the vampires. Like, hi, we formed a democracy and we decided <laughs> you're an unfit ruler. Oh, yeah, I know. Maybe mm, it's hard to say. Something's got to change, though, in the way the town's being run. Yeah. So <laughs> they, they need a, a reform uh, from that. So I think it goes without saying we're obsessed. And it's almost, I mean, for me, this is a five bloody red hearted out of five bloody red heart book books so far. And um, I know, you know, in a, I think it's six book series. Um, every single one is probably not going to be that high, but I'm incredibly impressed that the first two were five bloody hearts for me. Uh, I'm going to give a different scoring and I'm going to say it's five doors out of five. Be sure. Oh, oh, <laughs> I, I, I love it so much. I love it so much. It's five doors and then a mystery, magical, invisible door behind those five doors as well. I I have to restrain myself from plowing through the rest of the novellas that exist. This is going to be my palate cleanser series. Mm-hmm. And it's hard for me to find palate cleansers because... You know, there has to be like a certain length and it has to be a certain kind of genre and writing style and speed. And this fits that so well. And it's really easy to just be like, no, I'm just going to go obsessed and read the whole thing like it's a giant novel. Yep. But I... I want to slowly, I want to slow down my own experience a little bit because it's, it's just so special to me. I 100% agree. Cannot wait to read more of these books. Cannot wait to discuss more of these books with you. And I'm so glad you love them. Readers at home, if you're listening to the spoiler section, that probably means that you have read these books. Or um, if not, I hope you're very, very interested and, and you do so because we love them. All right, Scott and I are going to get packed for the moors and start looking for a <laughs> really, really deep staircase. Um, thank you, Scott. Thank you, Sandra. And please keep reading past your bedtime. Thank you.